Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the, in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, If you could just bow your head and pray. Lord God, what a beautiful Sunday. Thank you for these young saints who again witnessed to us the power of you. And thank you, Lord, for Krista as well. Thank you for the ways that um, you have been active and moving in this church, whether it's here in the sanctuary or in the classrooms of Kids City. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the the gift of your son, Jesus. And now we just ask that Uh, You just fill Watson with your word and that everyone in this place will hear exactly what it is that you want them to hear this this morning God we thank you. We love you. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen Good uh, good morning church Man, I tell you it so I'm torn uh, between like just being like the choir Baptism like man, I'm ready to preach something and I'm like (laughs) And we need to be out of here. Like you know, we can't linger. But uh, but I do have some things that um, that I wanna uh, that that I do wanna share and to say. Um, so much of what's been happening at this point um, has just been an expression of God's love towards us and a, and a testimony of our love towards God. If this is one of your first times at Christ City, uh, I, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Matthew. I serve as one of, the, one of the pastors here. And I want to say that what you're experiencing here is actually a reflection of who we are as a church. Just a, a local community of Christians uh, attempting to live out our faith with each other in the context of community here in this neighborhood, in, in each other's lives, uh, for the sake of the well-being and the flourishing of this great city and to the glory of God who loves us and who made us. That, that, that's, that's what you're experiencing. And so if this is one of your first times here, I want to say you're, you're welcome here. We're, we're glad and delighted and thrilled that you're here. I want to start off with a question, and, uh, and just prepare yourselves. I'm going to have you answer this question to your neighbor, so, so you know, sort of work it up. And here's the question. We, we, uh, this was a question we actually asked in our staff devotions last week, and here's the question. I want you to describe your most recent experience with anticipation. I want you to describe your most recent experience with anticipation. Got it? All right? In your mind, you've got like 45 seconds. Go. 
kind of over, overhearing uh, a little bit of the, of the chatter. I, I've heard uh, anticipating uh, birthdays, anticipating uh, the outcome of a football game. Uh, or something. Yeah, something. I, I see you back there, Ryan. You know, um, anticipating, you know, Christmas to arrive. We were talking, I was talking with some friends, and we're like, this feels like senioritis. Like, I'm just, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, there's a, there's a break coming, and I'm just trying really hard not to mail it in for the next two weeks. But, uh, you know, like, there's, there's this, um, this ache for something else. As you think about what you just shared, how did you, how did you feel in those moments? How did it feel to kind of, to kind of wait there? What, um, what did you do as you, as you waited? How did you fill that time, that anticipatory time, as you waited and anticipated what was up ahead? We're in the second week of the Advent season, a season in the Christian calendar when, when the church around the world and throughout the ages turns their, their attention towards Jesus' birth. And as we step into this Advent season, uh, the guiding theme for us at Christ City has been anticipating Advent. Anticipating Advent, and our exploration of this theme has been uh, to have us looking at the Old Testament book of Isaiah and the ways that those in Isaiah's day anticipated the coming of the great Redeemer. And our hope is uh, that as we look back at the ways that these spiritual ancestors of ours lived in anticipation, that we might also find some wisdom for us in these days about how we ought to now live in anticipation of Jesus' second advent, his, his second coming, when Christ returns and sets all things right and new and true and good. Justin started us off last week by proposing to us two questions from Isaiah 9. His two questions were, what are you waiting for? And then what sustains you in the wait? And, and what was sort of at the center of those two questions is this, this word wait, this sense of anticipation. It, the truth is it, it's quite hard for us to wait. It's, it's a muscle that I think is, is really atrophying in, in our lives these days. We don't, we don't do well in seasons of waiting or in moments of waiting for that matter. If you think back to that opening question of describing the last time where you experienced anticipation, if you think back to that, that, that how did you pass that time? Uh, for me, one of the things that, um, that I, recent experience of anticipation, Lisa was traveling, and uh, while she was gone, she was gone for a couple of days. While she was gone, I was anticipating her, her return. It was a short trip, but still, I was like, as soon as she left, she texted me, she's like, I'm uh, boarding, and I'm like, oh, God, when will you return? Like, it, like, we hadn't even, like, the Uber ride to the airport, and then I was already ready for her to come back. And while she was gone, the, the, the thing that I did while she was gone as I anticipated her return is I just kept busy. I just, kept, I just kept doing like stuff, like trying to keep myself uh, sort of occupied until she came back, hoping that my busyness would make the days and the hours and the moments pass more quickly. And then I'd look up and she'd be coming through the door. It's sort of like a grown-up version of what I would do on road trips with my family. We would be traveling from Dallas. We'd go to Louisiana or wherever we would travel to. And I would like f- try and force myself in the back seat to fall asleep in hopes that I would sleep long enough to not experience the boredom and have to wait. And I'd wake up and we'd be pulling into my Grammy's driveway. Like, like I just, I, I don't want to wait. We don't like to, to wait. Waiting is, is hard. And I suspect that what you do when you wait, that it's actually not so different from what I tried to do. One of the books that I read during my sabbatical this summer is a book called The Common Rule, and it's a devotional guide that kind of helps walk you through establishing healthy weekly spiritual rhythms uh, that fit within contemporary culture. Um, Recently, they put out an Advent guide that I've found really inspiring and helpful, 
And, and on one particular point, one of the daily practices that they propose during the uh, month of Advent is this practice. No phone while waiting. No phone while waiting. Wherever you are, whatever you're having to wait for during the day as a spiritual act, just wait. Don't distract yourself with the phone, but to be quite present. The author of the guide, Justin Early, he writes, Life often asks us to wait in traffic and elevators, at stoplights and grocery lines, and we don't know how to wait. We don't like to wait, so we fill the time with useless, distracted glances at our phone. Through the season of Advent, don't touch your phone while waiting. Learn to wait. Look around you. Look at the people with their stories and their lives just as real and as beautiful and as broken and painful as yours. And be present. Learn to wait. Learn to long, learn to remember that all of creation waits for the king to return. As we turn our attention this morning to Isaiah 11, we find a people desperately waiting for the return of their king. And what we find in Isaiah 11 is actually a description of what the people of God believed that the king would do upon his return. The context of Isaiah 11, as it was mentioned last week, was that the people of God had become divided into two geographic kingdoms, one northern, which was called Israel, and one southern called Judah. And they both had become conquered, though in different ways, one by military might and the other by simply surrendering to the opposing Assyrian empire. At the time of Isaiah 11, the audience to whom Isaiah is preaching is a conquered people. One empire is ruling them, and other empires are on the move, and soon will reconquer them, and they have lost their way militarily, and they have lost their, their way morally. And they're a crushed people, and they've gotten crushed externally on the battlefield, and they've gotten crushed internally by the selling of their own souls. And it's in this place of desolation, internally and externally, that the prophet writes in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 11, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. What Isaiah is describing in this chapter, throughout chapter 11, are two things that the king, when he returns, two things that he'll accomplish. And those two things, that this king will bring peace and this king will gather the people. The first thing that Isaiah describes is the establishment of peace. And and, and what's beautiful and and poetic about how Isaiah describes this is that he actually doesn't use the word peace or the Hebrew word shalom in the passage. But rather what he does is he paints a, a picture of peace with metaphor and description and animation. He portrays the peace that will in. that that will ensue with the advent of this king, the the, the arrival of this king. Look at verses 4 and 5. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. 
And with the breadth of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. You can begin to hear the cadence of characteristics of this coming king. Righteousness, justice, equity, faithfulness. The, the, the Hebrew word that's used here for righteousness, sadak, it's the same word for justice. So in the Old Testament, whenever you see the word righteous, it's sadak, and you can rightly substitute justice. With righteousness and justice, he will judge. With righteousness and justice, he, that will be his belt. And the word that's translated justice here in Hebrew is actually mishor, which means equity or fairness or uprightness. And so this king, when he comes, he will judge with justice. He will give decisions that are fair and upright and equitable. His words will cut the hearts of the wicked. He will be clothed with righteousness and justice and faithfulness. These are the characteristics in stark contrast to the characteristics of the rulers and the emperors of the day. And the prophet then continues describing what results from the arrival of such a king in verses 6 through 9. Casey read earlier, says, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion together. Snakes and cobras, they won't do any harm. I don't know that I would like them any more than I do now, even if they're not going to hurt me. But they won't hurt me. As theologian John Golengate notes, the talk of harmony in the animal world is a metaphor for harmony in the human world. The strong and powerful, they live together. With the weak and the powerless, because the latter can believe that the former are no longer seeking to devour them. What this king's arrival does is that it, it upsets the, the power structures. It upturns the power dynamics and sets right all of human relationships here. This is what the king brings. He, he, he brings peace here. In the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, when speaking of King Jesus and the peace that he would bring and is bringing even now, it would describe it this way in chapter 2. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the, the dividing wall of hostility, the wolf and the lamb together. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we now have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're not just far away citizens, but your family. You sit at the same table, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The, the, the peaceable reign that was anticipated in Isaiah was realized in Jesus' work on the cross and will be finally fulfilled when Christ returns again. It is to this, this peaceable kingdom that the young people of Pathways to Power point. It's, it's to this work that they do when they advocate for peace and nonviolent resistance, for creative prophetic imagination, for an end to gun violence and economic violence in their community, and the ways that they invite all of us in D.C. to ache with them for the day when young people live out their years and no life is gunned down in the streets of D.C. It is to this peaceable future that the Nasser family and the Tent of Nations community presses when they proclaim on the roadside sign that leads to their farm that we refuse to be enemies. A sign that their enemies drive past on the way to knocking down their olive trees. 
And yet in the face of that, these Christian peacemakers, uh, in the face of relenting violence, they, they, what they do is they replant the trees in anticipation of next year's harvest. And they set a table and place tea on it so that their enemies can come around because they are anticipating the coming peace that Jesus promised and that he would leave us with, as he said in John 14. And friends, these are just two examples of why we give to the Advent offering, by the way. Because it helps us to anticipate Advent. It conditions us to join with others in the anticipation of the day when all things are made new and made right and made whole and complete when peace reigns between all people and within all people. The second thing that the king does when he arrives in Isaiah is that he gathers. I love this one. I love all of them. It's not that I don't love peace. Forget that I said that. He gathers all of those that have been scattered by chaos, by the chaos of war, by the chaos of poor choices, by the chaos of lives upended by violence, by the chaos of broken trust. When the king shows up, he, he gathers everyone who has been separated and scattered. Verse 11, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. There'll be a second coming. He'll reach out his hand a second time and reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. He'll reclaim them from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the isles, islands of the Mediterranean. He'll, he'll, he'll raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. When this king arrives, he's going to gather us. Whoever it is that we've been separated and scattered by, by chaos or choices or death or time or distance, he gathers us back together. I know that this isn't universal, but, but I think it's close. There's an abundance of love for this season that we're in. From Thanksgiving to, to Christmas, I mean, just people, I, I, we, we love this season. Folks are, they're in a better mood. Our, our hearts and our spirits, they're, they're lighter. Smiles are quicker. Patience is a bit longer. And this uh, season of holidays, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a great season. And I think that the reason why we love this season so much is because it's a season in which we gather. Now, now I, I know that there's a lot of hard parts about this season as well, but, but generally speaking, part of the joy of this season is in the gathering, gathering with family or with friends or with coworkers or loved ones or liked ones. We just like to, we get together. Summer's great. I mean, you got vacations and outdoors and, you know, sun's out, guns out. Like, you know, it's a, it's a fine season, you know. Like, spring is great because, you know, new things, flowers, new buds, allergies, life all around. Like, we like spring. Fall is nice because pumpkin spice, everything, you know, Halloween candy. Like, you know, the, each of the seasons, but it's this one is the one that we gather. This is the one that we, that we come together, and I think that that's why this season, from the month of the 30 days from Thanksgiving to Christmas, is you know, the most beloved 30-day stretch, because we're together. And I think it's this same gathering impulse that moved Jesus to say over the city of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you. As children, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, 
And I think it's, it's in this same ache for gathering that those that were scattered that prompts Jesus to reassure his disciples on the eve of their own scattering in John 14. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me and so that you'll also be where I am. I'll, I'll gather us. And it's this vision of the church gathered that we see in Revelation. Chapter 7, after this I looked and before me was a great multitude, a great gathering of, that no one could count of every nation and tribe and tongue and language standing before the throne and the land that we just sang about. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation, it belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What Isaiah is anticipating is the arrival, the advent of a king who would bring peace and who would gather the people. And that king did come in the person of Jesus, the one who said, I am your peace, the one who said, if I'm lifted up, I'll gather all the people to me. I'll gather all of those who have been scattered. Jesus is our long-awaited king, friends. And we now find ourselves awaiting his return. And it strikes me that the way that we are to anticipate Advent, the way that we are to be in Advent people is to be a people that follow in the footsteps of this king, that we're a people that likewise work to bring peace and that work to gather. And so I think what that might look like in your life or in the life of our community or in relationships is that, it, is that we begin taking steps towards addressing the violence in our neighborhoods. That, that, that we stand with those that are, that are peacemaking in this very place, in this very city, that we stand in solidarity with them, even if the violence in their neighborhoods don't affect us, that we still say, what affects you affects me, because we're all wed together. And so what it means for us to participate with the coming king in the bringing of peace is that we stand in solidarity with those who are affected by violence in this neighborhood. I think it's that, that we stand with those that are affected by rising housing prices in this neighborhood that we stand with those that are advocating for just and affordable and equitable, all of those categories that we heard that the king will represent housing at Reservation 13, just blocks from where we are right now. I think it may mean that you begin mentoring or tutoring folks right here at Minor Elementary School, or that you support a family through DC 127. But it might also mean that you begin, that you reach out and begin the mending process of some relationship that you have with family or friends that's gotten frayed this year or in previous years. That you, that, that you don't wait for them to act, but that you become the first actor in it. That you say, I'll be vulnerable, I'll step towards this. Because I know there's a coming king who invites me to his table and whose citizen I am with him. To begin a relationship with someone that's so utterly different from you racially or politically for the sake of embodying the belief that King Jesus is the one who will gather. And so you're going to live in anticipation of that and you will gather with others that you've been scattered from. It may mean that you actually say yes to Jesus for the first time. Having heard the testimony of those that have troubled the baptismal waters, that, that, that this Advent becomes the Advent where you anticipate uh, what Jesus may do in your life by taking that first step and placing your faith and trust in him. Now I realize that some of you may say, but Watson, folks call me by my last name most of the time. If you call me Matthew, it's okay. This means we might not be close yet. But I'm open. Watson, you don't, you, don't understand the depth of, you don't understand the depth of the brokenness. 
You don't understand how, how messed up things are. How intractable the violence is. You don't, you don't understand that. You don't understand the, 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 the multi-million dollar uh, developers that have already laid claim to the land at Reservation 13 have lined the pockets of politicians. What are we going to do? You don't understand how, how broken this is. You don't understand how, how elongated the dysfunction of this relationship with this person in my family or this friendship is. This, this thing can't be undone. We're just going to have to wait till Jesus actually shows up on this thing. You don't understand how far off course my life has gotten from what God wa- where he wanted me. You don't understand how intractable the brokenness is. You just don't understand how dire the situation is. And what I want to say to you is, no, no, I don't. I don't know what your Assyrian empire is. I don't know how, how laid to waste the nature of those relationships are or your world or your soul is. But I want to call our attention to how Isaiah 11 opens. Verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot, new life, comes from whatever was laid waste. Comes out of the stump of Jesse. From its roots, you may have cut the top off, but the roots run deep. The, the roots, a branch will bear fruit because of it. A sign of life will sprout from the thing that we thought was dead. That's how this story begins. This summer I had the chance to spend some time uh, in the Denali mountain range in Alaska. And there's a, I think we've mentioned this before, but there's a gorgeous flower that grows there. And you can see it in the spring and in the summer. It's called fireweed. And the thing about this flower, when, when Nathan and I were hiking um, in Denali, we, we would see different patches of it in different places throughout, and we could see it kind of mixed in with other flowers. But it, it just really kind of overtakes when it begins to grow. And the thing about this flower is that it doesn't come up unless there's actually been a fire in the subalpine climates. If the meadow or mountain or forest, if it's undisturbed, if it's had uh, generations of peace, then you'll never see fireweed there. It's only after the chaos and the destruction of a ravaging fire that you begin to see this fireweed. You can see a fire that will cut through the side of a mountain, and then in its place you'll see the trees, and then the fireweed will kind of, kind of like the first charge, you'll see it kind of breaking in. The other thing about it is that it's actually the first thing to show up, but it's not the last thing to show up. It's, it's, it, when there's a fire, the dormant fireweed seeds, they, they then begin to germinate, and they make the fireweed the first colonizer of the soil following a fire. And when they sprout, it's as though they're announcing something. It's as though they're saying, the tragedy's over. The fire's done, but new life is on its way. The trees that were, that were lost in the fire, they're going to grow again. They're going to be here soon. The, the, the Johnson pines that were lost, they won't be lost forever. The blackberry bushes, they aren't dead. The, the white pines, they're, they're on the way. They're, they're just scattered. But all of it will be gathered back again one day. Peace is on the way. And it's already on its way. 
The king of peace and the king of gathering, he has a story and its origins are in a stump. Things that were cut down and left lifeless. A shoot will come from the stump. Friends, we can have Advent hope this morning. We can anticipate Advent well as the people of God because what Jesus has done in the past and what he will do again and what he wants to do even now in your life this Advent. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you, you are the great king that we anticipate. You're the, you're the one who met us when our lives were cut at the stump. You are the one that renews us. It's a testimony of those that have been baptized. God, you, 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 you give us new life. You give us a new heart. You stir in us newness. God, I don't, I don't know, uh, these friends that are in this room, where they've, where they've come from, what circumstances swirling around them, what sort of chaos, what, what feels like on fire in their lives. But God, I pray that, that even in this reading of Isaiah 11, God, that they would hear the reminder that you bring new life from things that feel like they've been destroyed. That, 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 you, are, that you specialize in resurrection. You look for the things that have been laid waste, and you say, that's what I'm going to use. That's the, that's, the, that's the raw material I want to take for the miracle that I'm going to do. Spirit, I pray that in this moment that you, would do, that you would do two things in the lives of those in this room, God, that you would bring comfort and that you would bring conviction. That those that need to be reminded Spirit, that you are with them, that you walk with them through whatever chaos and whatever hard spaces that they find themselves in, I pray that you would comfort them. That you would say to them, I'm here, I'm with you, I've, I've not left you. I don't leave you when you're in the fire. I walk with you through it. I pray that you would comfort. And the other thing, God, that I pray that you would do is that you would convict that there are those that are in this room, that, 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 they, that they see the baptisms, they hear the stories, they hear the testimonies, and God, they know that there's a step for them to take in faith towards you, that there's a the step for them to take of surrender for you, towards you. God, I pray that you would convict them of that. Not, not in a heavy-handed way, but in a way that, that's quite invitational, that says, just come to me. Let this Advent season be the season where Jesus arrives in your life and in your heart where you say yes to him and you begin following Jesus. As Sidney Pope said, what it means to follow Jesus is just to live like Jesus lived. With faith and grace. So Spirit, I pray that you would do your work. 